Welcome back to the Two Black Runners podcast presented by The Runner Report. You can catch us every single Tuesday, streaming on all platforms and even on our YouTube channel at Running Report. And you want to make sure you follow us on, on Instagram at running underscore report. And this week, we really just got a real special episode. This is really our just our effort to keep the conversation going. I know you guys are all aware of the social injustices that have been going around in our world right now. And right, the person that we're going to bring on in a second, I really feel like it's going to deeper this this conversation and really just bring a greater perspective and perspective that's really needed here on Two Black Runners. But before I get to that, I got to bring in my main man, the brother from the same mother, hey. Aaron Potts, bro. Aaron, how you doing? We know you just went through a movie, but last month was busy for you. Last month was bro. really busy for you. How you doing? Dude, that last month has been crazy for me. As you guys know, like I started a new job with Hoka back in April and the month of June with like the protests going on and like also we were just kind of blowing up with getting a whole bunch of guests. Yeah. I was on the yeah. Hoka like talking about the injustices. So and I, and I'm in the yeah, I'm in the move like literally I'm surrounded by boxes. I don't have my running report rug up today. But you know, we still got to get into Black Tuesday and I'm super excited. The guest we have today is basically is a legend. So yeah, Joshua, without further ado, let them let the people know who we got on today. Man, we got someone real special. I'm telling you, yesterday I was talking to my dad. I was like, tomorrow we're going to have Molly Huddle on. And he was all like, Uh-oh. that's the epitome of American distance running. She said she he, she he said she is the emblem of American woman distance running. And let me just tell yes, you sir. why you said that. She's an eight-time U.S. champion. She has Ooh. the U.S. Women's Half Marathon World U.S. Women's Half <laughs> Marathon record. She's fourth place at the 2016 Olympics in the 10K. She's a two-time Olympian. Overall, she's she's a champ. She's a beast. She's like you said, she's the epitome of American woman distance running. Molly, welcome to the show. Like, how, how are you doing? How are you doing? High praises from the Potts household for sure. Yes. Thanks, Potts brothers. Um, <laughs> I'm doing good. I think we're all just kind of um, managing best we can right now. But um, yeah, doing good. Happy to talk to you guys. In Atlanta, and that barely basically happened. And right after that, you know, the world kind of gets shut down. Um, how has that been for you? How have you like adjusted your lifestyle and your training to all that? Yeah, it's so weird. That feels like so long ago when I think about it. And I remember the COVID stuff was happening in other countries and we hadn't quite gotten hit yet. And so the Olympic trials marathon was like one of the last events to happen normally, which um, even though it went really bad for me, I'm glad that we didn't have to worry about like, like all the track athletes and all the other sports right now kind of trained and trained and we're waiting and waiting and then their seasons never happen. So that would be really hard too. So yeah, I, I took a break anyway after that. And now I'm just kind of, I'm back training. I'm like, not very fit. I'm maybe like 70% fit, but um, we're just waiting for races to, to appear on the calendar basically before we start training hard. So kind of in a holding pattern, um, which a lot of athletes have said that. So yeah, that's where we are. Uh, luckily I can get outside and run every day. So basically that is all I need. To, I need like 
food, water, sleep, and like to run outside to be okay. <laughs> so that's where we're at. <laughs> I completely, completely understand that. Like just the fact of being able to go outside and get that exercise in, especially in a time like this. And I think what's really crazy when we started this podcast about 11 weeks ago now, it's our 11th episode, like the first question that we had to ask was the elephant in the room was COVID-19 and how you're dealing with the quarantine. But in the midst of like doing the podcast, I feel like the even bigger elephant in the room now was just how were you, how how was your response to the racial injustices that recently just happened? I've been like plaguing the world and especially the U.S. Like how has been like how are you just feeling about it? How has been your immediate response to it? And just your overall thoughts just so far, just in general. Yeah, it's definitely been something that is like the right the right time, the right um, pressures on society. The, like people are ready to talk about it, ready to fight for it. And I think it's important to take advantage of that um, to push for changes going forward. And, it, you know, a lot of athletes are speaking out about it, like black athletes and white athletes, all kinds of athletes. And I feel like it's not a popular thing to talk about, but um, it is important for everyone to talk about it. And I feel like, um, you know, I have platforms to use. So there's a podcast, there's social media, there's um, all kinds of ways to amplify experts' voices, to amplify lesser heard voices. And I feel like if that's something that I could do as an athlete, I would. Um, and so that's kind of been my perspective, like, you know, you show up and say, how can I help? And that's a way that I can help. So yeah, it's definitely been something that has been, um, a long time in the making, but I, I hope that this is like the right time for like lasting changes to come out of it. Um, and we won't really know that until, you know, a year from now or two years from now, but like, that is the hope that's the intention. And so, yeah, it's been, it's definitely been, um, like a, like a tumultuous time, but one where I hope mm. things come out like actually better on the other side um, for like everyone in our country, like for the people in our country who need it to be better. Yeah, and we definitely appreciate you um, speaking up and using your your platform to just spread awareness. Um, what's super interesting to me about this time around with the injustice is we really are starting to see the running community become more involved like with the athletes and I think a lot of that breeds from Ahmed Aubrey um, a black man who was just on a run and got killed and I think that opened the eyes up for the running community and it's just great to see that more people are like understanding like hey like this affects us in all facets and because yes. people always think of running and track and field as you know like this diverse world but it's a little segregated and yeah, it's just been it's been a crazy time. Yeah, definitely. And I think Ahmad Arbery kind of brought it to the the distance running world in the US. Um, cuz I do think people for a long time thought everything's okay in, you know, distance running. We have like East Africans at the front of every race and it's like, well, mm-hmm. it's not really okay yeah. in America though. <laughs> it's very white and any yes. space that is really white, you have to look at I think we just have to look at it through a lens of like, why is it like that? And it shouldn't be like that for the betterment of that actual space or that business. 
um, and just the rest of the people in the country. So I think, yeah, we're definitely looking at ourselves now instead of just like looking around at other institutions. And I also feel like what's really good about getting you on this podcast, Molly, was like, I think our past uh, three podcasts or past four podcasts that we have done and just like things that we've done on our page have featured a lot of African-American voices. And I feel like at this time, like this, this is the perfect time to amplify like black voices and, and to really like concentrate and listen to that black perspective. But then as we grow deeper into this and as we grow deeper into the conversation, I think it's even more insightful when Aaron brought up the point, like, why don't we have Molly Huddle on the podcast? And then to see the work that you do with keeping track with Alicia Montano and Rasheen Maggetti, like to see the work that you guys do and how you guys are fighting and using your platform to have a conversation with a, a white a white woman, like somebody and somebody in like the sport and in our same space, I feel like it's even greater. So I just want to say, first off, before we get more into the, to the podcast, I want to say thank you for using your platform and all that you do, because I think it's really going to help moving forward. And this conversation with two black runners and Molly Huddle, I think is a conversation that needs to be in every single running group across the U.S. Definitely. Yeah. And like, we've gotten questions about like, well, why are you talking about it? Like, how is that authentic for you? And it, it's not, but it's important to show, like, I feel like it's important to bridge audiences. And like, mm -hmm. if a lot of white people are listening to me, then I want to bring this to their attention. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that's kind of part yeah. of what, what I'm thinking. And then of course, yeah, like we have Alicia on our podcast. She's really a guiding light for a lot of our show topics and um, just a friend and amazing person in general. But I feel like all of us have such different experiences. You know, Roshin's from Europe. Um, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, uh, currently still an athlete. They're both moms. Um, there's so many different areas we intersect that I feel like the conversations like are each of us like kind of like bringing that experience to the table. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping it helps in some way. <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. But then as we just, uh, before we get more into like that type sort of topics, we want to just kind of just uh, fill out where did this real love of running uh, come from? So like, where, where did you really, when did running really stick for you? When did you start running? And when would you all like, oh, I want to go pro. Like, I, I think I can do this for real. Yeah, I I tried a couple other sports when I was younger, and my dad was a big runner. He ran um, shorter distances in college. He went to Notre Dame too, actually, but then he did marathons when I was little, so we would watch him at road races, and I was like, they were local races, and my dad was like, I don't know, like a top 20 local guy, so we were like, yeah. he's he's the fastest guy in the world. Like we didn't know we were five, yeah. um, but it made me think running was cool. And so he got all of my sisters into it and I'm the only one that stuck with it. Um, but I didn't really love it until I thought it was kind of boring. Like I didn't, I didn't really get it until probably high school. Um, and so I wanted to make foot locker. That was like the big thing for yeah. me that made me switch from like fun running and like half competitive running to like, Oh wow, this is like something I want to go all into. Um, and then, of course, you go to Foot Locker and you meet real professional athletes who are your coaches and stuff. And so that was like yeah. just really eye opening. Um, and yeah, then from then I, I ran in college and then 
just focused on trying to be the best in college. And I didn't even know if I was good enough to run pro after that. But I think there were a few big meets like qualifying for USA's as a collegiate athlete that kind of showed me like, okay, you have a long way to go. But if you can do that, you probably could run professionally. So yeah, it was, I was never sure <laughs> what I what yeah. I could do. But I knew, like the more into it I got, the more um, I wanted to see how much potential I had. Yeah. And can you speak a little bit more on that transition to pro? Because like um, right before you came on, I was just looking through all of your stats and everything. And you graduated in 06 mm-hmm. and you didn't win your first championship until 2011. So you had to grind for, you know, those four years and really like just believing yourself and trusting yourself. And that's really cool to see because especially in distance running, Uh, You see a lot of people that continue their running after college, but how was that transition for you? Did you immediately come out with a sponsorship? I did. I luckily I did. Um, I was with Saucony from the start. Um, I hadn't won an NCAA title, but I had been on the track. I'd always been in the top three every year in the 5k. So I think they saw that there was potential there. And honestly, they knew I was going to Ray Tracy at Providence College for my pro coach. And I think if that was a big part of them supporting me because they knew how good mm-hmm. of a coach he was and how good the group of women was there. So they took a chance on me. I've been with them ever since. Um, but yeah, I definitely grinded those first couple years out of college. I um, I was having like success every year. Like I was getting better. Like I made the world cross team my first year out, which was a big goal for me. And then I won one or two U.S. road races. But like that making like winning a track championship is so much harder than um, there's only three spots like cross country. There's five and um, yeah. everyone shows up for track. So that was kind of like the one thing I was like, I'm not sure if I can do that. Um, but then I, I, you know, had a few injury issues I got over. And once I got that consistent training in, it was like, okay, like I see how I can do this now. So yeah, it was a rough three years <laughs> coming out, <laughs> but I was like, I saw that I was like inching towards where I wanted to go. So it was, it kept me in the game pretty much. <laughs> then as you had that like transition to pro and as you started dominating on like the U.S. scene, what was really like that key factor to become like dominating in the international game? Because I feel like especially when I mean, you're talking about like the sprinter side, if you're the top hurdler in the 110s, if you're top hurdler in the 100 or 400 hurdles, like you're, you're basically, you're going to finish top three at Worlds. But when it comes to the 10K, 5K, if you're top three, if you win U.S., a lot of times it's it's hard at, at to even place it internationally. So to be able to go out and compete internationally and have some really great finishes, what was that big transition like for you to be able to be a real competitor? Yeah, that was really hard because I feel like, it, yeah, you can. there's such a big gap to, between the best in the U.S. and the best in the world. And especially, I, I did so many years in the 5K before I moved to the 10K, and that was like an even bigger jump. Like I, in 2010, when I ran um, 14.44, I remember, I didn't think I could break 15. And then that year I like went way under. But then I realized you still have to be 20 seconds faster than that even to medal. So it was like, it was like that gave me a lot of confidence. But then I was kind of like, I just don't know. Like, it's crazy. You can be like literally like half a lap or even a whole lap behind the best in the world. And um, so, so it's definitely, you know, I just kept working and kept working. And I knew I was, you know, obviously there's always the whole climate of doping you have to question. But I, I knew that like, 
my strategy as a clean athlete was to just to be as ready as I can as often as I can. So I was like, okay, you're going to line up. Hopefully you make 10 teams and hopefully two of them go well. And that's kind of just the approach I took to this whole thing. So, you know, I learned that just from watching the girls in my own group and um, just trying to chip away at it, like realizing what my body can handle as far as work and like how fast can I progress? Like I can't pay attention to what other people are doing um, and just go at that rate and that'll take me however far it will. But it is great. Like even though there aren't that many moments where I felt like I was hanging with the best in the world, the few times I was, I was that like drives everything basically. So yeah. it can last you a long time. You just hope you get more chances. <laughs> and what I like about your journey too is I feel like, I mean, ever since I've been watching you, you've been winning. But people, people won't notice there was there was four years until you got that. But like you have, as you you have improved, I feel like U.S. distance running uh, for women has improved along with it. Um, and yeah, it's just great to see because I feel like, like we were saying, our dad was telling us like Molly Huddle. Like when people think about American distance running, they think about Molly Huddle because you just consistently been up there for for so long now and we're starting to see that move into like more of like the marathon as well but yeah did you, yeah definitely <laughs> did you um as as american distance running has grown did you see like more sponsorships or when did you start to see more sponsorships start to come your way yeah, that's actually an interesting question. So I noticed that when I moved to the marathon, actually. So despite winning a bunch of times on the track, like I think I had like between road and track, like a lot of titles, I don't know, more than 15. Um, it wasn't until after 2016 when I started to see like a variety of sponsorships come in. And I think part of it's because the marathon is such a big stage that you reach all the masses who are running it. And I like, I guess people just businesses and companies see that as a valuable space. Um, or maybe it's like, you know, New York City Marathon and Boston Marathon are just uniquely good at promoting mm. the athletes. They're just huge organizations. Um, but yeah, it was weird. It wasn't until then, really. So the marathon is, it's actually a glamorous event yeah. for how hard it is. <laughs> I was going to say, when it's I was like, at the trials, it was crazy. It's like the 100 meters and the marathon are the two glamour events. <laughs> no, the Olympic trials this year was like amazing. Like everyone was lined up, cheering. Like it was one of the best sporting events I've been to. So honestly, I was like, dang, like maybe I should run a marathon one day. Like this is cool. Like, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> But then to, to speak more on like kind of like just like the sponsorship and to kind of like bring it back to full circle on like the topics we were talking about earlier, as you start to gain like more uh, sponsorships and speaking on like the last podcast that you just had on keeping track where title representation matters and just the fact of just when you started like receiving more sponsorships, did you see that like there was, did you ever notice there was a certain mold that got like certain type of sponsorships or certain type of, types of covers? Or when did you really just like wake up or have you, when, when did you realize, when did you realize that there's like a certain type of mold or certain type of figure that gets that type of sponsorships? Yeah, I feel like I was definitely naive to like the lack of representation like early in my career even and definitely in like 
high school and college when I didn't know how that stuff worked. I just thought like, oh, you're just the people that I know about, the NBC markets, that Runner's World markets, like the like. And I grew up really before internet um, in high school, so it was like the only way I knew about something was if NBC told me this Olympian was who to look up to, or yeah. this, you know, a magazine, track and field news came, and I was like, okay, who's on the cover? So, um, yeah, it's like until later in my career, I was like, that's not really about what you've done. Cause like now I'm on this track team with 130 other people and like, they should all be getting more attention. Like, why don't we know who Brittany Reese is? Like, why don't we know who like Shantae Lowe is? Yeah. Like they're gold medalist times 20 or like they have so many medals. And it's just like, eventually I was like, who, like who's deciding how you break through into that, like more mainstream kind of marketing. And, um, and even, yeah, like the throwers, the field eventers don't get as good of contracts as like the distance runners. Luckily, we have yeah, road yeah. races. So, yeah, it definitely just became more apparent over time. Um, and and of course, like as it related to me, too, like that's Alicia and I would have conversations where we were like, you on Runner's World yet? Nope, me either. <laughs> and we would just talk about it. We'd be like, why? Why not? Um, and then it, it went into different directions and um representation became kind of like the topic we thought actually would help someone if we talked about it so it wasn't just like we want to be on the cover it's like no actually like this is a larger uh yeah. more constructive issue um so yeah I'd say it wasn't until the last few years of my career really yeah and I, I was listening to that podcast you guys made and I thought it was I think you brought it up or Alicia did it was interesting how like we have like runner's world um and it kind of more so highlights like that um like hobby hobby jogger like type of type of person and i think it's interesting how there's not like a sprinter's world or like we don't really see the sprinters like advertised other than when there is the olympics and i think that's very very uh, interesting could you speak on that yeah totally um and that's part of what keeping track was aiming for, really, like to tell the stories of, um, even though we're really small, we hope, you know, maybe someone who writes for a magazine or writes for a newspaper or a sports writer will listen to us and then say, oh, I didn't know about that person and then write a story mm-hmm. about them. So we were kind of hoping to target, um, you know, the whole team, sprinters, the amazing stories, like the gold medalists that we have that we don't really know, like how they grew up, what, you know, what challenges did they face um there's a lot of inspiring stories there and so I feel like also by showing more stories and more role models um you know you don't have to have five gold medals you don't feel like you have to have five gold medals to be um marketable or to be influencing kids or to be getting your story out there so it kind of helps I feel like sort of the system we have that pressures athletes into like the desperation of feeling like they need that to get like the other stuff when really it's just, you're an amazing athlete and you have a great story to tell that's helpful to people. Um, if we tell a variety of stories, then that it's not when it all cost either. So we feel like that was kind of our goal. Um, but yeah, I feel like there needs to be like either. Um, I mean, I guess track and field news is a magazine that does focus on the entire track and field all the events but there needs to be yeah more I feel like there needs to be more um outlets for the rest of the team and to promote like all the amazing stories that are there that maybe aren't getting they're just getting overshadowed I feel like by the same like three or four stories over and over again 
Yeah. Yeah, most definitely understand that. I remember when we had uh, our series Running Wild Black, I remember uh, we, we, we mentioned just the fact that, like, we had Raven Rogers on second place at the 2019 World Championships. And Aaron just mentioned the fact, like, I feel like a lot of people uh, know Morgan McDonald, know this than Morgan McDonald, phenomenal athlete, great athlete. He's a beast. But more people know who Morgan McDonald is compared to Raven Rogers. And Raven Rogers as silver in the World Championships and all these other accolades at Oregon. But just the simple fact of like, there's just the, the coverage isn't really the same at some point when it comes to these media outlets. Yeah, definitely. And you, you kind of, it makes you want to look at like who's in charge of like who are the editors, who are the staff, who are telling the stories and um, like what does that staff look like and what is like who, who's the audience and what is the audience, what do they want the audience to look like? Like there's bigger audiences out there. Um, so yeah, it's, it involves everybody really. <laughs> also, you guys talked a lot about how, um, the people that are running it, they're kind of dropping the ball on an entire audience because these amazing athletes, like for example, Raven Rogers or Corey, Car- Corey Carter, we'll talk about Alephine a little bit later too. Like they have such great stories. And I mean, that's a big reason we created the running report too, is to just like, share athlete stories and that's that's all athletes but definitely those ones that are not highlighted as much and I remember you were talking to Alicia too Alicia was talking about her daughter when they're at a track when you guys were at a track meet and I mean the 1500 runners were going and she said something like oh yeah the black girls are going to be afterwards or like she basically acknowledged you know black girls don't run the 15 because like she didn't see any out there and it's so important for that representation to be out there to just get more people into the sport and promote the sport even more and take it to a higher level yeah and and obviously like we've heard this a lot that it goes beyond just a magazine cover and it it does like you need the stories you know you need and the stories more than a headline like you need a a very in-depth story it helps if it's told from the athlete's voice you need actual actions you need programs with you know, an eye on increasing the inclusion of the sport, but like five-year-olds are soaking that in. (laughs) So if they're soaking it in, then it needs to be, it's important. You know, it's, it's just one of those subconscious things that you can't undervalue. Also, I just feel like the fact of, like you said, it goes beyond a magazine cover, but just like the cover of not being, not being just to see like a professional athlete on the cover, but to see like, some a minority or a black person on the cover i feel like that goes a long way of just of a of like my mom walking through the supermarket and seeing that running magazine and be all like seeing like a white person with a certain type of figure and just be all like that doesn't look like me like only white people run like i don't i don't run either and that could be said for a lot of things that i feel like black people seem excluded from or not being just like, I'm not being welcome in that type of space. Like, why would I go run? And so I'm just going to just do whatever, you know? Yeah, like a cover is prestigious. Like any magazine cover is prestigious. So like if you're on it, you're all the things. But if if you're like if Alicia is on a cover, she's a mom. She's a um, world championship medalist. She's also mm-hmm. a black woman. Like it, you're all the things and all the things are getting the prestige of the cover. So 
you know, it's important. It's important in a lot of ways that I think add up. Yeah. And another thing we wanted to touch on was right now what's really getting big and what's pushing is that anti-racist movement, um, that allyship, allyship movement. But what is allyship in short? What does that mean to you? Yeah, to me, I think it's um, definitely something I've thought more about now than ever before. Like, I guess it's something a lot of us hadn't thought about before, but it's just showing up and saying, like, how can I help? Basically, like, how can I, like, to someone who's been living and experienced their whole life, you show up and you just say, well, how can I help with whatever privilege I have, whatever um, audience I have, whatever power I do have, how can I help? So, yeah, I think it's a lot of listening and a lot of support, basically. I think what you do a really uh, great thing, and I feel like I feel like a lot of people just do this just on like my regular feed or just from a lot of like celebrities. Like I feel like there's people I've taken it upon themselves to really make their Instagram stories or their Instagram posts or Twitter posts like into like the news, and you're really getting educated more than ever on Instagram than before. And what I really like about uh, your posts and your I- IG, uh, your IG story posts is that you're almost like I feel like you're you're a news and an advocate and just a sharer of like the running community. I know those aren't really like the right words, but like how you like promote, <laughs> like you you go from I've seen like you go from showing your workout playlist with Will Clay with one of his rap songs in it to showing a. Re- on repeat of all the runners world covers that we're seeing now of minority groups that people are just making to really kind of protest and and to show like the diversity of the running community and i just think that's a really great thing and how did that really did you take that upon yourself or is that something that just naturally just came to you well i've always wanted to be supportive of other athletes if they because i know how hard it is to like be in the game but also to try and like do something extra so like if you have a virtual race if you have a race if you have a song if you have a product like I'll buy it I'll put up a picture I'll endorse Mm -hmm. it because I am on the athlete side um but yeah and so with Black Lives Matter I feel like that took on a whole new meaning and the focus kind of narrowed down to like a more important area in that way um but yeah if if my social media is in a way like a billboard um I feel like this is good good things to promote, you know, promote other people's voices and other, th- introduce my audience to these other like valuable, um, whether it's a business or whether it's a movement or whether it's a magazine cover or another person you should follow. Like, I feel like there's no races going on. So, you know, this is at least something good that can come out of um, yeah. a public social media page. And I think that's the good that's going to come from like social media. I really think that social media is going to be the change. And I know there's people that say that, like, it's it has to go beyond social media. And, like, I feel like we all know by now, like, we have to vote. And, like, that is a re- that's going to be something that's going to be reiterated for, like, definitely for the next, like, four, was four, four or five months, like, to say vote, vote, vote. But just on the continuing of going on, social media posts that we're seeing, like, right now is something that, is really going to be like the long-term effect of when that when that five-year-old Lisa Matano's daughter gets on social media and to see stuff like that continuing in her mind, she won't even have the thought of like, I, she'll have the thought that I can do anything. It's There's no limits on what she can do. Totally. Yeah. And, and athletes are influencers on social media, whether we, you know, we're a lot of things, but if we're influencing 
you know, you might as well talk about the actions that you're doing or what you what you think people should be doing, because if you say it and they see it often enough, other people might do it too. So I know yeah. there's like a performative element, but at the same time, you have to let people know what you're doing, what you know, what you're about. So it's a good chance to do that. And of course, there's more going on. Besides, you don't just sit and tweet all day. I think everyone yeah. knows that, but they're just getting inundated and they're like, you need you need action. You need to do more. Um, I go hand in hand, though, I think. Mm, most definitely. And um, another thing I wanted to bring up was back to the marathon trials. Recently, Alephine Tillamuk, she was she she won that year. And I remember I was there with the Hoka people and a lot of people were upset because the main thing we heard the announcer talk about when it came to Alphine while she was winning was how she had 12 brothers and sisters. I mean, which is which is cool like that she has a family, but she has a lot more uh, accolades than that. She's won a lot of championships before. And then we saw Molly Sedell, who got second. They talked so much about her comeback and how she just started doing the marathon. And none of those things were just with Alphine. Um I know you probably did you go back and watch the race and see any of these things or what were your initial thoughts um, when you heard that and she spoke out? Yeah, I did. I watched the race once. So it's kind of it's kind of rusty, like the memories, but um, they didn't cover the end of the women's race that well in general. So like a lot of mm. moves were made that, and that they missed a lot of that. And that's common, like a lot of marathon coverage needs work. But I, I definitely feel like um, sort of not uplifting the like Alphine is from Kenya and she is American but I feel like in a lot of races even the athletes that aren't American that are from East Africa they they don't get the attention like they're not made out to be like the individual stars the way that I feel like a lot of other athletes are and I've noticed that for a long time you know you even hear the commentators call them the Africans or like the Kenyans and like not yeah. by their name and if they butcher their names and they mix them up and it's like you see it a lot and you're just like it's not a good um like representation of them as like potential like stars like potential like and I'm sure that has downstream effects too with how well they're marketed right even if Alphine wins 10 U.S. titles they still don't know when she shows up and so it's like yeah. it's hard like I understand why she was upset I totally totally get it and I've totally seen it go back to coverage before Alphine was running even um that's something that was out there so I hope that um things get better with that too. And sometimes it just comes down to like just doing their, their job better, doing better with the research. Um, and just, yeah, definitely. I definitely think that was like an important point to bring up. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was I like it was, really just, I, I was just going to say, I'm sorry, Yasha. I was going to say like, um, I just wanted to give a lot of props to Alephine for having, you know, just the confidence to really like speak out on that and bring attention to it because she only tweeted that not not so long ago and I just remember when it happened like a lot of people were complaining about it at, at Hoka and people were upset about it so for her to like stand up for herself you know I thought that was really cool to see and like she she and other people like that that come to America and and run for us like that's the American dream you know, um, and that's, I mean, at least that's what we're told growing up, you know, people came here for like um, some type of opportunity and 
I mean, she accomplished that and won the U.S. Olympic trials. So it just, yeah, it hurts me to see to see that. I'm like, hey, there's so much to talk about here besides her 12 brothers and sisters, you know. So. Yeah, and you even see that going back to like when Meb was competing. I felt like he won New York and then he won a medal. He won a medal and then he won New York Marathon. And I feel like it wasn't really until Boston that he was that household name. And it's like, well, he had an Olympic medal. He should have been huge even back in 2004, 2005, you know. So um, it seemed like he had to do extra to kind of get the same mm-hmm. recognition that um, another athlete like a Ryan Hall or an Alan Webb who has like a lasting um, power in the headlines and in marketing has. So it's, it's something that I feel like she opened the door to that conversation by saying that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, like that's probably, that's been there. <laughs> Cause people don't notice it. People don't notice it. I think it's really important though. Like how we were speaking on earlier, while you're saying Molly, that like representation like matters and it matters that we need to hear these like stories and hear these other runners like backgrounds but not just like the pure fact of like representation. It needs to be said like the right way. It needs to be mm-hmm. illustrated like the right way because you can just represent a minority group, but then do it in the wrong way. And then you're totally, it defeats the purpose at some point because the representation is just wrong of that minority group in, in an awful wrong way. And I feel like that's a perfect example. As a perfect example, just like seeing like in movies and like, if minorities are like overly sexualized or seen as like criminals, but then now to see it like in the running world, I think it is Alephine coming to that is sort of just like a wake up call to the running world yeah. that this happens to us. Like we don't, we're not in our just single like singular bubble, but there's actual like problems that we have to address. And it's not, it's not bad. I feel like that the problems are there, but it's just the fact that like we can't ignore it now, you know, cause we're aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. 100%. And I like what you said, too. Like, it does really open the door for a lot of people to step up and, like, speak about what happened to them. It's going to give people more confidence, you know, because someone could just say, like, oh, you're, like, overreacting or, like, oh, you do have that many brothers and sisters. And it's just like, well, like, are you just trying to portray some stereotype or are you trying to get coverage for me? Um but another thing I wanted to bring up, too, is I like you brought up a point in your guys' podcast where you were talking about, like, what what are these, like, companies, whatever it is, what are they doing to get more Black people involved? We know there there is Black runners. We're two Black runners. But, like, what can these companies do to advertise to these people more? I think we kind of know you, you put someone on a cover or something like that, but I think that's something we're, we're going to have to look at more now and address more because all of this stuff is, I think is just, it's good for the sport and it's only going to make it bigger. Yeah, definitely. And, and it, it sounds like, like the few email interactions I've had with um, like Saucony or with runner's world, like they do have plans. It's just, you want to see like, we, I hope like a year later we look back and we're like, yeah, things are better. Like for example, um, in the study that we did for episode 22 with the representation matters, it showed that women's running in 2013 made this jump to have um, increased numbers of BIPOC people and athletes featured on their covers, and they stuck with it from 2013 to now. So they're actually at 40 percent 
um, they feature 40% of people of color on their magazine covers. And before that, it was lower. It was, I don't know what it was before that, but I want to say to average 31%, it would have been in the 20s or lower. So you like to see that though. Like they said they were going to do it and they did. And I wonder what effect that's had. And yeah, dude, like I've definitely, with Runner's Alliance, that uh, Runner's World, they do Runner's Alliance with women. So they're, they're definitely like trying to improve and yeah, I mean, they've been taking the most heat out of all of the running media outlets, I would say. So it's going to be interesting to see their response. But I do think I do think it will be good. I think we will see see a, a change. And yeah, I think it will help to just desegregate, desegregate track and field. Because right now it's like, you know, if you're black, you're a sprinter. If you're if you're white, you're a distance runner. And we were talking about this earlier with someone else that we lose black uh, distance runners to sprinting because they just feel like they don't belong. Like in Mario Hall's uh, letter that she wrote on Runner's World, she talked about how she went to Texas, which is a sprint school, just to be around more people that look like her. And like, you don't really see, I think another issue we have is like, there's not many it's hard it's harder for a black coach to break through in the in the distance in the distance world and like i would say myself like i have never had a black distance coach which is and i when i think about it in hindsight i was like that's that's very interesting and it sometimes in hindsight i think about it i was like oh maybe that's like some of the struggles in communication or like just weird awkward things that would happen you know that would have not happened if i had a black coach and like there'd be more people if there's more black coaches, maybe there'd be more black kids coming out for distance, you know, more black kids going to college. Like so there's a lot that can be improved there. Yeah, totally. Like I, I never had a, a black running coach. Um and Marielle, we talked to her for another project that we're doing, and she did tell us that same same story and she was so like you look at it from that perspective and it's like she almost was like repelled from an event that she was good at because she just felt uncomfortable like there wasn't a like she was not fitting in and you know it was how many more people are um in that position and actually do just leave the events or don't even join them because it just looks like unwelcoming or uncomfortable in some way so when you think about it from that angle you're like Maybe we should have more Marielle Halls. Like that's, we, we need to like, just think about it from that lens. Like you're missing out. I think the crazy thing too is, is I feel like Marielle Halls most definitely like more and more. But when I was thinking back to like the people that inspired me to get up and run, well, like for one, like the the representation that I saw was mainly like my older brother, Aaron, and my brother, Caleb, because I seen them running the 800. So I was all like, or or like the mile or something like that. So that was always representation. But then on the pro level, my favorite runner, I remember like in 2000, what, 2008 or something, or 2009, I was like in fifth grade and I had Nick Simmons on my binder, flexing, flexing on my binder when he won the 2008 Olympics. And then like Nick Simmons was my favorite runner. But then once I saw Dwayne Solomon running uh, for USC and coming up in the ranks, and then once I saw him in front of Nick Simmons, I think it was even more of a deeper love for track and field and just a deeper love for the eight to be all like, man, at this time, at this time in my running career, I was running up front in the 800 
And I was all like, man, I'm trying to be like Dwayne at, at some point. And so like to just see that representation at just all levels is something that's definitely important and can definitely go a long way. So to, to have those stories being being heard definitely now, I feel like will definitely inspire a generation like moving forward. Yeah, that's the hope anyway. <laughs> so and also like, yeah, you've been awesome with with speaking out and using your platform and also, you know, just sharing a lot of what black athletes are doing right now, amplifying their voices. But why do you think that it's important for people to hear from you? Because like you were saying earlier, some people are like, oh, like, why are you talking? This is not authentic. And people probably will listen to this podcast and they're like, why are you guys talking to, talking to Molly Huddle? Why do you think it's important for people to hear your voice? Yeah, I just think um, it affects everyone, these issues. And I feel like like it was easy before for people to say, well, it's not my fight. Like, it's not my problem to, like, fight for, you know, against police brutality or against representation or something like that. But, I mean, the power is in the hands of mostly white people in America. So you need everybody on board in order for things to actually happen. Um, So I feel like that, like I said before, my audience is mostly white. And if they see me caring, then maybe they will realize they have to care Mm -hmm. and actually, you know, follow through with what comes from that. Um, And also like, those are my teammates on Team USA. You know, we were talking about Rule 50 um, and the right to protest on some conference calls a couple weeks ago and like some of the athletes were just telling their stories and why it's important to them and why they need this to be allowed, you know, with Gwen Berry and um, some other athletes speaking and like that you're on their team. I know track is an individual sport, but it's been, I've made seven teams now, I think. And it's, you know, that's who the stars are of team USA. And they, they, it's not fair if you're a star on the track and then like, you come home and you're mistreated in some way or there's barriers in some way and you hear the athletes say that. And so it's just trying to like get behind that message and support it so that it's, it's not like forgotten or dropped. Um, I feel like it's important to have people that are saying like validating that, even though it's not their own personal experience. And then one one more thing, like you see how uh, you speak on race now and you seem Philly like you seem comfortable in how you speak speak on it and stuff like that. Was that always the case? Like how was like race like spoken in your home or was it really like spoken on at all? Not really. Like I feel like a lot of people, a lot of white people find it's taboo and it's uncomfortable. And I feel like, like in my house, like I went, I grew up in a really white neighborhood, really white school, small mm-hmm. community. Um, so like no practice talking about it there with my family or anything, but I just think, you know, being on Team USA, for example, or even just like recently, there's been a lot of like education going on and a lot of other conversations. Like me and Alicia have had conversations and yeah, it was only like a month or two ago, but like it's, you gradually kind of chip away at like realizing it's okay to make mistakes and then you learn from Mm -hmm. them and then you just understand more at the end. And that's the most important part. Um, So I feel like just having gone through that more, and I know everyone has the last couple months, but kind of learning from it and adopting it and kind of moving forward with what you know now and perspectives you understand now. And um, it just makes it a little more comfortable. And also just you realize it's more important than being uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. Um, kind of just like 
coming at it from that angle like the ends justify like you're trying to get somewhere with it and so you're doing your best but yeah it's going to be a little awkward sometimes and joshua always talks about how like when you have these conversations it's like bro you're you're doing that last rep of the workout like it's time to like get uncomfortable and when you get uncomfortable and push through that's when you typically that's when you're going to have the breakthrough that's how you get stronger that's how you get smarter and i think what's interesting about us talking to you going back to that is like the name of our show is two black runners we're two black distance runners and we're talking to a a white female distance runner and this is like a conversation that it can be normal and that can happen in a lot of different places like with on on a cross country team or like you've had these conversations and you run for like what you're saying like you run for team usa so everyone you're promoting and like you're pushing forward like they run for the U the USA. So it's like also like another message to everyone. It's like, hey, everyone here, like we we on the same team. Like we're not trying to divide. Like these athletes that are speaking up, they run for Team USA. They're not in the there's no track league. Like you just you're representing USA TF. Yeah. yeah. And with like all that being said, like we we're pretty deep into this. I don't yeah. really know. I don't got too much left, but pretty much sum that up. Like y'all need to follow follow Molly Huddle. Like if you're not, I don't really know what you're doing. At Molly Huddle <laughs> on Instagram. Like go ahead. But we have a few like a closeout questions for you. And I'm gonna change these five favorite athletes to just uh what's your like top five or or just give us a couple influencers that like people should follow like right now or people that we should people that deserve like have a great a big voice right now can really be heard you feel like um in the track world or in general um Uh, however you feel however you feel um well i'll go with some of our podcast guest list we had some amazing people on there so tiana bartoletta is definitely someone who's got a great voice um i hope she has a book deal because she is a really good writer and should have one um, another person to follow would be Gwen Berry because I think the Rule 50 um, developments, she's kind of keeping people up on that and mm-hmm. has become like taking that on, um, which like she's trying to train. So like that she's taking that on in any way is like a big deal. Um, so I'd say Gwen Berry, I'd say Alicia, who is like, you probably already yeah. follow Alicia. She's a big deal. Um, but Alicia <laughs> Montano, uh, just because she's doing a lot of activism and like, um, like, sports and maternal um like contracts maternity contracts and um allison felix of course you probably already follow allison but like maternal health i feel like is a big deal um yeah yeah, there's a lot of uh don harper nelson has a great story she's making a comeback uh trying to make an olympic team after having her baby harper so yeah no shortage of ladies anyway (laughs) (laughs) i have a question as well i wanted to ask you what do you have any any like books that you would suggest or anything you're reading right now that you want to throw out there? Um, I'd say, gosh, there's so many books, like basically all the anti-racism books that have been floating around as far as like white fragility. Um, there's a couple books, anything by um, Ta-Nehisi Coates is good. Um, and um, I don't want to, Abraham Kendi's books, um, How to Be an Anti-Racist, I think is one. 
all the ones that you've seen retweeted and on Instagram are good for getting like a base level of understanding, um, I think. Um, and yeah, if you don't have time for books, there's a lot of podcasts out there too. <laughs> and then one more uh, question that we had is like, who do you think should be our next guest on Two Black Writers? Who should we, who should we, who do we need to get on? Okay, you can have some of our guest lists because we are running out of time. We have such a long <laughs> guest list we want to get to. Um, we want to talk to um, Shantae Lowe. Um, I don't know if you've had Marielle on. Um, we're trying, we're trying to get her in. Yeah. Oh um, who, who else? Um, Chanel Price has a great story that I don't, she's had like Ooh, a long yeah. comeback. I feel like she's just getting fit again. Um, I feel like. I'm obsessed with like, um, like Edna Kiplaga and like um, Vivian Chariot and the girls that are winning the marathons from Kenya, but it's hard to get a hold of and the time difference is hard to work yeah. with for podcasts in Kenya, but I feel like um, those voices are very, um, not often, not often like heard on podcasts and media and stuff. So if you can break through to the whoever their agents are, <laughs> get a hold of them. Like, I'd listen to those. I want to hear those. Um, but yeah, Aaron, a lot get of work. Get the work, Aaron. <laughs> Bro, oh, I got yeah. you. Don't worry. You know me. <laughs> but last question. What is the final mark you want to, what is the mark you want to leave on the sport? Ooh, um, well, I hope I have control over whatever that is. <laughs> and um, yeah, I guess just to, elevate more stories. Um, yeah, just to make more, um, athlete stories known and, um, appreciated and, um, just to make the sport more inclusive and more popular. Cause I love everything that running has to offer and I want it to get it. I want it to get to the most, um, communities and people it can, all those things it has to offer. And then if you could just shout out your podcast real quick and everything that you're doing, because I feel like everybody needs to be following you everywhere real quick. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, Keeping Track is a podcast with myself, Alicia Montano and Roisin McGettigan. And um, that's pretty much it. I guess also I have a all comers cross country race, but I don't know. It's probably going to be virtual this year. So <laughs> I'll keep you posted on that. All right. <laughs> Well, dude, but thank you. Thank you, Molly, for definitely coming on. We just let you know you have two Black runners that are your best friends for life now. You're part of the Runner Report family, and we really do appreciate you coming on. We really want to keep the conversation going and want to thank you for your help on doing that and just wish you the best going forward and everything like that. Yeah, thanks, guys. We'll definitely keep giving you guys shout outs too. Um, Running Report is a good podcast. And um, yeah, more people need to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel the same way. Thank you. Thank you.